0: when we have police officers who are uniformed, that they're there in their blacks and all the rest of it, and they're armed with pepper spray and tasers, mm-hmm. and they're coming to our houses and knocking on our doors and shaking us down because somebody somewhere, who, by the way, is faceless, has expressed some degree of anxiety about something we posted on Facebook. Now, the problem is, so convinced are they that they are on the right side of history... They don't give a damn about being on the wrong side of the law.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my special guest this week, Harry Miller. Harry, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Brendan. uh, I've been looking forward to this.
1: Good. I'm looking forward to it too. There is a lot for us to talk about, I feel. Uh, I really want to get down into the issue of freedom of speech with you and the Great work you've been doing on freedom of speech over the past couple of years through your Fair Cop campaign and more recently in the Bad Law Project, and basically the efforts you've been making to keep police officers out of the realm of freedom of thought and freedom of speech, which I think is really important. But to kick off, let's talk about these images that have been beamed around the world and have caused alarm around the world, uh, justifiably so, which is this footage of a an army veteran in the UK uh, being arrested for a social media post that caused someone to feel anxiety. You were also arrested. You seem to get in trouble with the police quite a lot for uh, for matters of expression. <laughs> uh, so, just tell us what happened in relation to this incident, and how on earth is it possible for someone to be arrested in 2022 for causing anxiety with a social media
0: post? Okay, so um, this this Royal Green Jacket uh, veteran uh, with three tours of duty behind him, a man with a chest full of medals, including one for long service, distinguished service, and great service. Um, he was visited on Sunday morning two weeks ago by three police officers at around about ten o'clock in the morning, who who rang his bell, and he he immediately said to them, "Have I committed a crime?" Or is this one of these non-crime uh, hate <laughs> incident things? And they said it's a crime, Section One Two Seven of the Communications Act. Now, the first thing that should have happened right there is, having established suspicion of a crime, they should have cautioned the veteran. They didn't bother with that. They took him around the back of his garden and uh, had a little bit, little bit of a chin wag, uh, and they basically conducted a shakedown where they said. On the basis of the fact that somebody had been offended, he had committed an offence, and the option was that either they were going to prosecute him or, or for a straight handover of 60 quid, mm. they could they could downgrade the crime to a non-crime on condition that he went on a course. He said, is this to get my thinking checked? And they said, no, it's to re-educate you, as though there was some difference. Uh, he, he then said well, what will this re-education take? What form will it take? And they said, well, you will learn some very important life skills uh, in order to prevent you being arrested in the future, such as before you go on Facebook again, you will will learn to go and ask your neighbor if it's okay to post. And he said, I'm a 50-year-old man. I'm not asking the neighbors if I'm allowed to go on Facebook. They then said, well, the option then is for you to be, go to court. That's it. We, we will prosecute you. And he said, well, what about, what about the Harry Miller case? What about the Court of Appeal that, that mm. sort of suggested that you weren't, you weren't supposed to get involved in these sort of Twitter spats and Facebook spats and operating on the basis that somebody's feeling had been hurt? And they said, quite bizarrely, unless the Court of Appeal had written to him personally, it didn't count. Uh, I mean, that is
1: remarkable stuff. I mean, and particularly that aspect of it, which I read about, and I remember feeling quite chilled by it, actually, where they said to him, look, give us 60 quid and come on this course and then it might be okay. And that's essentially, as you say, it's a bit of a shakedown and it's basically them saying, we will re-educate you. If you allow us to re-educate you and to inculcate you with the correct way of thinking or the correct way of approaching social media, maybe things will be all right um i want to come on to your case in your cases in a moment and the court victory you had in relation to uh, aspects of non-crime hate incidents but just sticking with this case for a moment so his facebook post was of the pride flag the new pride flag the one that's got intersex and trans people of color and
0: I don't know incels it's probably got everything bunged into this one flag. Well I, well I I think it's known as the intersectional flag because In, yeah. it actually incorporates all of these strange uh, all of this strange gender uh, identity politics basically. So it incorporates yeah. uh, trans ideology, gender ideology, uh, critical race theory and all the rest of it into one intersectional flag and it was the it was the the vector of the, the Black Lives Matter part, the critical race theory part, yeah. which if you put all the flags together in a certain way, it gave the impression, if you looked carefully enough, of a swastika, which um, was kind of funny. But actually, actually, we, we've been asked a lot whether or not this is a, a a valid thing to use. And I think it actually is. And I think it's more valid uh, the longer we go on because, in in effect, the police proved our point in 2019 at the court of sorry at the high court it wasn't us it wasn't me who um, likened the police mm-hmm. to a nazi re- regime it was the high court who yes. said we have never had a stasi a checker or a gestapo in this country we do not live in an orwellian society now some people think that he was operating with hyperbole i don't think he was i think he saw the direction of travel and I think he saw it accurately. And what the police did this week with this illegal shakedown where they tried to extort money in return for an indulgence mm. so they could downgrade his sin, that is Nazi. That is Stasi. That is Cheka. That is Gestapo. That is Maoist. That is everything that's that's ever been wrong with the alt-left regimes. So I think they, they single-handedly justified the use of the flag in that way. There is such a deep irony to this case
1: because effectively what people were saying was how dare you compare the pride movement or the pride ideology to Nazism. If you do that, we will arrest you. And you think, can you hear yourselves? Because when you get to the point that you are threatening to arrest or arresting people for making fun of a political movement, for making fun of a political symbol, in this case, the pride flag, then you have reached an incredibly authoritarian level in society. Now, my own personal view, I don't particularly like comparing things to Nazism, and it does make me slightly uncomfortable. But but was this a valid thing to do? Absolutely, because this is the expression of a critical approach to a political movement. And I think one of the great ironies of our time is that you can call everything fascism and Nazism. People do it all the time. The Tories are fascists. Everyone on the right is basically a Nazi... Uh, feminists who criticize the transgender movement are now referred to as a a species of far-right politics. So you can use that language about everyone, but as soon as you do it in relation to the pride flag on Facebook, as this man did in relation to the twisting of the flag to make it look like a swastika, people are caused anxiety, the police come around, the law gets involved. So there's an incredible double standard there. And I wanted to ask you what the response was from Facebook.
0: Had that post been taken down? Has it subsequently been taken down? I don't know. I mean, it's that 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 particular meme, the way the flags have been worked like, and that's been around for like at least two years. Yeah. I think it's just because Lawrence Fox decided to promote it with his sort of quarter of a million followers that yeah. suddenly be, uh, the, the the more general public became aware of it, but. You just said there, Brendan, that you feel uncomfortable about um, comparing uh, the gender ideology or the critical race theory or the intersectional ideology with with Nazism. I don't. I'm very comfortable with it because here's the thing. Most people, when they think of Nazi Germany, Nazism, they think of that period from 1943 to 45, which saw the worst atrocities of the Nazi regime, the death camps, the Holocaust, etc., But Nazism started way, way, way before that. So when I'm talking about Nazis, I'm thinking early 1920s, early 1930s, because that was the point, not 1943. It was at that early point that somebody should have screamed out, this is terrible. This, unless we stop it, this is going to end up in a terrible place. And had people suggested This will end up with death camps. They would have been dismissed as Mm. extremists. They would have said, how dare you compare um, this Germany with what's gone on in other countries in the past? How dare you do that? How dare you? You're just an extremist who's inflaming everything. So my point is that right now is the optimum time to make the comparison because I am making it and we are making it with the early Nazi Germany not with Nazi Germany, as we see it, full grown.
1: How Woke One, the new spiked book by Joanna Williams, is out now. It is all about the woke takeover of our institutions and how we as ordinary people can fight back. I cannot recommend it enough. Make sure you order your copy now. You can get it on Amazon or go to spiked-online.com slash shop. That's spiked-online.com slash shop. Before we move on to the other cases you've been involved in and just this fundamental question of what the police are doing in the realm of conscience and expression and areas where they obviously, in my view and your view, do not belong. Just to stick with this case for a moment more, uh, there has been an extraordinary response to it, hasn't there? Uh, There has been, I mean, Tucker Carlson has talked about it. It's been on Sky News Australia, which I feel increasingly is a bit of a life raft in a a media world gone mad. Um, It has been talked about in the UK as well. There's been a lot of coverage of this incident uh, and people are shocked. They are alarmed. You mentioned earlier that the police mentioned Section 127 of the Communications Act, which forbids the sending of a grossly offensive uh, uh, message on social media and, and other outlets it seems to me that it was a bit of a mishmash of different laws being put together to justify the intervention in, into this man's life for saying something on Facebook.
0: It, it, it was. It, it all when, when I watched the police, I've seen better behaved, better informed Toddlers at a pick and mix stall, quite frankly, because they were they were just simply grasping at whatever little bit of law they could remember um, from the days that they maybe have opened up a law a police law book and were scrambling at it. So we had a mishmash of Section One Two Seven with Section Five of the Public Order Acts with something out of fairy tale land uh, based on the criminal offence of causing somebody anxiety. It's absolute nonsense, and this gross disrespect for law Mm. is something that we should be incredibly worried about when we have police officers who are uniformed, that they're in their blacks and all the rest of it, and they're armed with pepper spray and tasers, and they're coming to our houses and knocking on our doors and shaking us down based upon the fact that they disapprove of an ideology because Mm. somebody somewhere, who, by the way, is faceless – has expressed some degree of anxiety about something we've posted on Facebook. Now, these people were so dead-eyed, these coppers were so utterly dead-eyed that all of our appeals came to nothing. And The problem is, so convinced are they that they are on the right side of history. Mm -hmm. They don't give a damn about being on the wrong side of the law. Yeah.
1: I think that what you described there very well as this kind of um ridiculous attitude to the law this disrespect for what the law is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be applied uh, is really important and then also of course there is the gross disrespect for freedom of speech and I think that's the aspect of it that has really shocked people in the U- some people in the UK and people around the world the fact that in Britain, a country which has an incredibly proud history of fighting for press freedom, for democracy and democratic rights, for the right of people to speak ill of officialdom, if they so please. These are the kind of rights people in the UK have been fighting for for centuries and which have inspired other movements around the world to do likewise, including America, where lots of the Bill of Rights was inspired by earlier forms of struggle in legislation in the UK. So we are in a country which has this great, proud history, and yet we have a situation where in 2022 you can have the cops knock on your door because of something you say online. So a lot of people are looking at us and saying, what has gone wrong with Britain? And I wanted to ask you why you think there is this extraordinary level of disrespect for freedom of speech. Doesn't it go slightly beyond kind of clueless coppers and the College of Policing and the Communications Act all of which I think are problematic things, and I want to ask you about them specifically. Isn't there also a, a decline in belief in freedom of speech in society, in educational establishments, almost across the board, which is contributing to this new culture of authoritarianism with the police knocking on people's doors?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a st- systemic um, mm. problem. Now, I think where the police are concerned, part of it is based around guilt. They feel guilty about what happened uh, to Stephen Lawrence. They feel they feel guilty about getting their asses kicked uh, in the McPherson report. Yeah, um, but what what's quite odd is that the McPherson report addresses or attempted to address uh, police attitudes, bigoted police attitudes towards a particular section of society, the black population. So. The McPherson report essentially was saying, police officer, look yourself in the mirror and check your own bigotry. This then led to the College of Policing inventing these non-crime hate incidents on the basis that if you can intervene early enough, you can, you can stop an escalation to a serious crime like the, the, the stabbing of Stephen Lawrence. But the first people who should have taken notice of the McPherson report is the police. And the first people who should have applied non-crime hate incidents to themselves is the police. <laughs> and what we found out is this through further through a freedom of information request that since 2014, the, the Met Police have issued a single non-crime hate incident against themselves. Wow. Just mm-hmm. one. The same, in the same time, they've issued tens of thousands to members of the public. Leicestershire police have issued zero non-crime hate incidents um to themselves. Instead, they've treated complaints against the police, which were it a member of the public, would definitely have been recorded as an NCHI. They've invented this new category called non-recordable niche occurrence. Well, how very handy is <laughs> that? How very handy is that? So the police have taken on this basis of guilt, they've taken what could have been quite a quite a useful tool at uh, checking their own thinking. And they've simply applied it to checking the public's thinking and recording the public for wrong things. So I think that's the first problem. The second problem, I think, rests in the, uh, I think it's the 2002 uh, Police Act, where the oath of attestation that a police officer takes to the Queen has been altered. So it used to be upholding the Queen's peace, upholding the law, and that was it, okay? Now it's upholding the Queen's speech, upholding the law, upholding human rights. Well, hold on a minute. Which human rights are there that you're going to mm. uphold that are not covered by law? And what happens then is the police listen to so-called human rights groups like Amnesty, Stonewall, etc., and they make a subjective decision about which of those so-called human rights, which are not embodied in British law, they are going to uphold as if they were embodied in British law. So already we have a police force that has moved from one that upholds the law to one that upholds an ideology. And this is why Mr. Justice Knowles was absolutely bang on the money when he said, we've never had a Stasi, a or a Gestapo. He knew that's the way we were going. Absolutely.
1: And that's very well described in terms of the problem with the police and the increasing politicization of the police in terms of how they approach people who say certain things or hold certain beliefs. And I want to. You mentioned their non-crime hate incidents, so let's talk about those because they really are as Orwellian as they sound. And to my mind, and many other people's minds too, it is incredibly simple. If there is, if this is a non-crime, it's not something the police should be involving themselves with, especially when there are so many actual crimes that are going unsolved, like burglaries, for example, very few of which are solved. We have a knife crime problem. There are other criminal enterprises and criminal problems that deserve the police's attention. And yet they are focusing on non-crime hate incidents. And give us a sense of how you understand a non-crime hate incident. To my mind, if the police can record something which is not criminal, but apparently contains a hateful element or a particularly controversial element or an offensive element, that really does draw them very clearly, doesn't it, into the policing not only of what people say, because people say all kinds of things all the time, but also of what they were thinking when they were saying it and and what hateful thoughts may have lied inside their minds as they wrote that tweet or gave that speech or did something else. And this does take us into a new dystopian era in which the police are literally policing what we think and and how we express
0: ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So what you described there, when you're talking about what what was a person thinking, what was in their mind when they expressed this expression of hate or what have you, that is based on old school um, uh, policing. Because in order to, the old school definition, the the definition of a crime is mens re plus actus reus minus a a defence. So mens re is the guilty mind, plus actus reus, which is the criminal action, minus a defence, boom, you've got a crime. So, with a non-crime hate instance, they say that um, if if somebody perceives an action, uh, perceives an action to be motivated by hatred yeah. toward uh, one of the five uh, monitored strands, then if it's not a crime, it must be recorded as a non-crime hate incident. So, it's entirely subjectively based. Mm. Somebody's feeling defines whether you or me, you or you or I. End up on a database of hate by the police. It bypasses the crown. It bypasses the queen. It bypasses the notion of the sovereign because, of course, it is the sovereign to whom all authority must answer. It's the Queen. It's it, it's 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 uh, the Queen on behalf of Miller versus the College of Policing. <laughs> the Queen on behalf of Miller versus the Chief Constable of Humberside. The Queen or the, the, the Sovereign guarantees our freedom except in those situations where, by a very clearly defined statute, our freedom is limited. Uh, so this is a, this is just a handy workaround. When, when there is absence of a crime, we've got this other thing called a non-crime hate incident, which, of course, has in and of itself, a consequence because mm-hmm. there's no appeal. It's entirely based upon somebody else's perception. What you were thinking doesn't matter at all. It is no defence, and it will stay on your record for six years and entirely at the police's discretion may be disclosed on an enhanced DBS check in order to stop you getting a job mm-hmm. because based on the fact that they don't want you to get that job. So it's a commentary on character. It's not a commentary or a record of criminality.
1: And that is incredibly sinister and something that I think everyone
0: who believes in freedom uh, should be deeply concerned about. There is one other thing, of course. You mentioned knife crime earlier. Well, of course, the McPherson report addressed a knife crime incident yeah. which ended up with the murder of Stephen Lawrence. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. just said that knife crime is going up. So it suggests just anecdotally, but non-crime hate incidents, which are designed to stop that, haven't worked. Yeah. But even if it had worked, the police wouldn't know. Because again, we've put in freedom of information requests across all forces and to the College of Policing and said, what's the success rate been like of recording non-crime hate incidents against the members of the public? And they came back and said, we don't know. We've no idea. We don't measure it. We asked the College of Policing before they issued their latest guidance what empirical research have you undertaken to show the effectiveness of this policy? And they wrote back and said, we haven't undertaken any, none at all. Well, what kind of professional organization does that? Well, the reason they've not done it is because they found a much more useful end in non-crime hate incidents, which have nothing whatsoever to do with, with preventing knife crime. They're everything to do with preventing free speech and shutting up people who are ideologically difficult yeah so why would they test it and show that they don't work If you're
1: a regular listener to this show or a regular reader of Spiked, why not become a Spiked supporter? Spiked Supporters is our thriving community of people who donate to Spiked. Anyone who gives £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year can become a Spiked supporter and get access to lots of exciting perks. Spiked supporters can comment on articles, get free and discounted tickets to events, get a discount on all items in our shop and bookmark articles as you browse this is our way of saying thank you to all of you who fund our work spiked is completely free and yet you still hand over your hard-earned cash to make sure that anyone anywhere can read us and listen to us we're incredibly grateful for your generosity if you don't give to spike yet now is the perfect time to start just go to spiked-online.com slash supporters to set up your donation and your Spike Supporters account. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters. Right. So speaking of people who are ideologically difficult, I want to talk about your own personal experience um, in relation to the limerick that wasn't actually a limerick. It was a poetry or a verse. It was it's a comic identified verse. identified
0: as a limerick, Brendan. Don't you miss poet it. It identifies <laughs> as a limerick.
1: So it's gone down in legend as a limerick, but it was a bit more complicated than that. And this was, you were tweeting in 2018 and 2019 about the ec- excesses of the trans movement. You, you did numerous tweets, many of which I think are very funny, about being born a mammal, but identifying as a fish, and all these things which apparently are grossly offensive and potentially even non-crime hate incidents you were famously visited by a uh, cops from humberside police who told you that they needed to help you with the correction of your thinking and this did become a, a, a national case a national scandal at uh, deservedly so because you were essentially being collared for expressing a critical opinion about a political movement, about a certain ideology, in this case, the trans ideology, which you were seen to be blaspheming against and mocking, and therefore you needed to have your mind cleaned out by officialdom. Take us back to that moment when that was happening. Were you shocked that the police were actually knocking on your door and going to your workplace, phoning up your workplace in relation to uh, something funny you posted online? Or by that stage, had you already recognised that the police had become an authoritarian force and were losing sight of their original mission in favour of policing what people say.
0: Well, I, I had seen what had happened. What had happened to Posey Parker? Mm. Um, I, I sort of dismissed that as potentially and hopefully uh, an aberration. So I was shocked when they got a hold of me, but funnily enough, I wasn't overly surprised. What surprised me was the level of utter incompetence (laughs) displayed by Humberside police. Now, I can forgive PC Gull, the unfortunate police constable who first approached me, because as he told us, he'd been on a course. So, fair enough. But I said to the chief constable, after I'd whooped his ass, uh, eventually, a year or so later, I had to sit down coffee with him. I said, why? I understand PC Gull, but why, when the world's press turned on Humberside, did somebody higher up the chain of command not take control of the situation and apply some common sense? And the chief constable of Homicide looked me in the eye and he said, Harry, you should understand that common sense is not an appropriate tool for a police officer because it leads to unpredictable outcomes. What we need is more guidance. Wow. And I said, look, luckily, most people don't need guidance not to behave like the Stasi, the Cheka, and the Gestapo. Most of us do that quite naturally yeah. as it happens. This yeah. is ridiculous. So we have this assault on common sense, This and, and and that, of course, stems from a total misunderstanding of common law. Because what distinguishes us here in Britain from the Europeans is that our system is based on the fact that we are free. We are free to think speak do right up until the point a very specific point that the law says this far and no further of course in europe it's based on a system of permissions the state grants you a license to do this that and the other and the police need to the police need to have a brexit they need to understand that they are british police and we are simply free (laughs) and unless they can unless they can absolutely highlight which statute at law says that we cannot do that, then they need to keep their damn noses out of it. It's as simple as that. But, of course, they have no common sense. The police don't want them to have common sense. Any copper who's got common sense, they train that out of them Mm -hmm. because they don't want the police force to understand common law.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: one of the positive
1: consequences of what happened to you, even though it is still quite – I still find it shocking – that the cops contacted you over commentary you were making online. One of the positive consequences, as you've alluded to there and earlier, is that you took them to court for having a chilling effect on your freedom of speech, which they clearly did. And as you mentioned before, your court case was uh, successful, although I believe it didn't absolutely manage to get rid of non-crime hate incidents. But it was successful in the sense that it was recognised in the court that there had been a chilling effect on your freedom of speech. You mentioned... Mr. Justice Knowles, the judge. And as you say, it was he who said, in this country, we have never had a checker, a Gestapo or a Stasi. We have never lived in an Orwellian society. So this was a judge, basically, it was almost like he was thinking, God, is this really happening in this country? I'm yeah. really shocked to hear all this stuff is going on, as were many other people too. So we've recently had this case of the army veteran being collared by the cops for putting a pride mocking meme on Facebook. And we have to remind ourselves, uh, just reiterate that, someone being collared by the cops for posting a meme it genuinely is a shocking situation. Do you think that suggests that the cops haven't learnt much from your case? There is still a problem, isn't there, of the poli- of police overreach into the realm of freedom of thought and freedom of speech. What needs to be done in addition to the legal action you took against interfering cops, what also needs to be done to ensure that no one ever gets visited by the police
0: for expressing themselves on the internet? There has to be a fundamental change in attitude um, in our our police forces. They are operating absolutely on a European model Mm. of permissions. Part of this comes from the fact that the, the National LGBT Police Network uh, which is highly influential and is across all forces and is entirely secretive because you cannot get the names of who these officers are um they 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 sit as serving a serving members on the on the european uh, lgbt police network, which has adopted the Rainbow Europe, it's adopted everything that Ursula von der Leyen wants Europe to be, mm. including the criminalizing of free, free expression across the dinner table in a private house, yeah. including yeah. the criminalization of any questioning in schools of gender ideology. The National LGBT Police Network have adopted this in full, in full. So that needs shutting down. Uh, the second thing that needs to happen is that, we, that the police need to recognize that symbols are meaningful. Uh, veterans die for their flag. You know, if you look, if you look at any battle, if the colours fall, even though it makes you number one target, there will be no, no number of volunteers who will rush to pick up the flag, knowing that they are likely to get their heads blown off. Why? Because flags matter. Flags Mm -hmm. and symbols matter. So the police need to just be honest and acknowledge that their rainbow flags, their trans flags, their transferred cars, uh, and all the rest (laughs) of it is a political statement. It leaves Mm -hmm. us in no doubt whatsoever which side they're on. In fact, one of the police officers who arrested me last week was wearing a rainbow badge. And I said, what does it say on that badge? And she said, it said Hampshire Police. I said, so let me get this straight. Hampshire police are wearing rainbow badges to go and arrest a man over a flag. Mm. (laughs) This is crazy. I do not recognise your authority. Uh, You are not a police officer, as far as I'm concerned. You are part of a paramilitary wing of Stonewall. I will not (laughs) do anything that you say. Yes,
1: uh, and uh, as you say, flags really do matter, and sensible people have always known that, of course. It was brought home to me really powerfully during the... The most recent Pride Month, a couple of months ago, when it festooned across these broad streets in London, there was just line after line of the new Pride flag. And it really did feel, as I was kind of cycling underneath these uh, flags, it really did feel like the country had been conquered by some other kind of ideological belief, and certainly by some other flag, which most of us couldn't even say what the flag represents, what the different colours are, it's not a democratic flag. It's not a flag that comes from the people deciding this is what represents us. It's a flag that's very much a top down phenomenon, an imposition. It's the elite saying this is the correct way of thinking. This flag represents the correct way of thinking. And if you deviate from it, or in the case that we've been talking about, if you mock it, you are in trouble. So just sticking with a flag question, there's this recent story about Rishi Sunak who has rather foolishly said, in my view, that uh, if he gets into power, he will make it a potentially a crime for people to vilify the country in which they live. That to me is an attack on freedom of speech. I don't think vilifying Britain is big or clever. And I think lots of the people who do it are a bit dim and opportunistic and so on. But obviously we need to have the freedom to vilify the country, to speak ill of the United Kingdom. That is part of freedom of speech. But one of the ironies of the pushback against Rishi Sunak, which a lot of which is coming from the left, is that they are the kind of people who would like to keep it a crime to vilify the pride flag or to vilify the trans ideology or to vil- vilify these new forms of uh, authoritarianism and the, these new political symbols. So there's an incredible double standard in relation to freedom of speech. Whereas the argument we surely should be making is that if freedom of speech is to be meaningful, then it has to apply to all ideas, offensive and inoffensive. It has to cover every form of expression, every belief. Otherwise, it ends up being privileged speech that you enjoy if you have the correct thinking, rather than freedom of speech, which you enjoy simply because you want to say something.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And again, the High Court recognised this. It, uh, it, It said free speech includes the heretical. Yeah, it it yeah. does. I mean, you know full well that you could not mock um, the flags of Mao's China. Yeah. You yeah. could not mock the flags of 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 Pol Pot. Uh, you you couldn't do it of Stalin, of Hitler. You couldn't do it. Of course, we have to be free to mock, thoroughly mock and ridicule every facet of our establishment. Which is why the original spitting image was so was so good. <laughs> It is fantastic, because I always used to think that whilst we have spitting image, we're not going to have the Third Reich. The two things can't go hand in hand. One helps prevent the other. So when you remove that capacity to create heretical joking and mockery, etc., then you are opening up the window for this form of Nazism. Totalitarianism—call it what you like—to creep in, and again, that proliferation of flags, which you spoke about, th- they're there to say that resistance is futile. Yeah, that's why. That's why they—they are, they are so prolific. Yeah. It signals the message: resistance is futile. We are the many, and you are the heretic. And um, do not be surprised when we come and arrest you, when we come and shut you down, because all of us think this way. It's to demoralize you. And that's why when somebody like myself just stands up to the police and says, you know, you will not be arresting this army veteran uh, and to get to him you're going to have to go through me, (laughs) it goes viral because that quality of standing up to authority unfortunately is rare because... We are fairly compliant. We want to do the right thing, and we've put our trust as the public in the police. We've allowed them to have extra powers over us that the ordinary member of the public would not have because we fundamentally think that they're doing everything for the common good and they're operating in the very, very strict limitations of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act following the law, but they're not. What was really interesting about the arrest the other day, I pointed out very quickly that at no point had they issued um, the veteran with a caution. And they said, well, it doesn't count because this is an interview. Well, it is an interview. And Pace says, if you question a suspect, if you question them, doesn't say anything about it being an official interview. There's no such thing as an official interview. It's if you are questioning a suspect, you have to caution them of their rights. You do. They dismissed that because in their mind, they'd invented a system that wasn't going to go anywhere near a custody suite. They weren't going to have to justify anything to an inspector, let alone the CPS or the court. So why bother with a caution? We're just going to deal with it in this extrajudicial way, on the side, operating an entirely different system that the law can't touch, and we'll get our end that way. And that's the reason that police officers uh, have learnt nothing from the courts of appeal, nothing from the high courts. I had had a, a police officer get a hold of me just this last week saying, Harry well done, fantastic work, but we, we're we told nothing. It's as though your rulings haven't happened. Mm. That's sh- that's the amount of contempt that the police have for the public and for our highest courts. So that, that brings me very nicely onto, onto
1: my final question for you, which is about the people who are standing in front of the police or officialdom and saying, stop it. So that includes you. There are other examples too. There's Alison Bailey, of course, who took her chambers. She's the barrister who took her chambers to court for discrimination and was successful in that. Uh, Maya Fostata, of course, who also took an employment tribunal for losing work because she has gender critical beliefs. We at Spiked have been arguing for a long time about the importance of freedom of speech and the importance of defending it against all comers, whether they are from the state, like the police or the government, or from the supposed moral majority or the moral minority as they are these days, the kind of noisy enforcers of correct opinion online and in in informal circles. And we've constantly argued that freedom must be protected on all fronts. And, And that is now starting to happen. And I get this very distinct impression that there are sections of the elite who are quite shocked that this is happening. They can't believe that people like you exist. They can't believe that people like Alison Bailey and Maya Forstater and others are speaking out. They refer to the UK as turf island because they cannot fathom that there are significant numbers of women and men who are saying, listen, we don't want this ideology. We think it's destructive and we want the freedom to criticise it. And I I take a lot of pleasure in the fact that there are layers of uh, the elites who are really disturbed by this intellectual forceful pushback against their ideology and in defense of freedom of dissent and freedom of conscience and freedom of speech. So uh, on that, I wanted to ask you where you think this will go next and how much harder you think we need to push. So you're now, you set up Fair Cop in relation to some of your original run-ins with the police over your social media posting. You're now working with the Bad Law Project to shine a light on the fact that the Police and other wings of uh, officialdom are using the law to clamp down on expression rather than to solve crimes. So, all of these are very good things. How much harder do you think we need to push? How much further do you think we need to go in relation to? Ensuring that everyone in this country has the freedom to express what they think:
0: Well I, I, I think uh, Lawrence Fox and I will be bursting out of people more people's kitchens to surprise the police uh, in in the weeks to come uh, because you know when, when you're faced with uh, a superior force, which is you know the, the police, what you have to do is operate with stealth. Mm-hmm. And you have to operate with surprise. And when you go in, you've got to go with absolute brutal, brutal force. Absolute brutal force. Now, that doesn't mean violence, mm-hmm. uh, but it does mean going in there armed with pre. Re- pre-action protocols and saying, we've got the money, we've got the will, we've got the boldness, we are going to take you to court. Not only that, we're going to seek to get your chief constable sacked. Not only that, we're <laughs> going to seek to get your PCC sacked. Not only that, we're going to get all every single police officer who was involved in this absolute criminal act of hate against the British public, we're going to hold them to account. We're going to scare the life yeah. out of these, yeah. these people. And then we're going to retreat back. And then we'll do it again. Mm. That's the way, that's the way that we're going to do it. Because unfortunately, it's the only way. And that's why we set up the Bad Law Project, because we've got some astounding minds working here. And we understand, you know, I'm not a lawyer, uh, I'm not a barrister, but I do understand strategy and I do understand how to do battle with these big big, monolithic, government-funded, Quango-led organisations. I know we're mobile, we can strike, and we'll continue to strike. Harry Miller, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.